Thank you so much, Tal, for coming up to uh, LA from San Diego. Yep, I drove up this morning. I think there's nothing really beats like an in-person interview. Yeah. You get to know the other person a little bit better. And I don't know, Zoom is just like, there's always going to be that distance. It's just not the same as yeah. meeting someone in person. No, it's not. And I got to do more of these in person. You know, I've been used to doing this Zoom stuff for so many years, but I, I will be making the transition. I keep forgetting this is being recorded. Oh, it is? <laughs> That's <laughs> like with your yeah, phone, with the phone, so I keep yeah. looking at it. I'm not looking at you. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, it's okay. Yeah. That's the beauty of this stuff, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, COVID definitely made me like kind of more of an introvert. So that I'm trying to get more comfortable being with people again. Got it. So got thank it. you for having me. Yeah, you're <laughs> welcome. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to have you. And shout out to Brian Huang, who is a mutual friend of ours. Um, he's um, said a lot of good things about you. And you know, when I'm on your Instagram page, I'm like, there's so many questions. You know, technical questions as well as you know these um, sort of angles that, uh, and literally and figuratively, angles that are hard to kind of perceive as a just as a regular person to, to see these huge pieces um, in, in the city? Yeah, I, I'm one of very few Vietnamese muralists that I've been able to discover online. And um, like, I, I, wanna, I wanna be able to paint pretty loudly without putting my face on everything or being in like in the spotlight. So it's a great way to express without having to like, really be in front of the camera but, so much. But why not? What, what's wrong with being in the camera and being in the spotlight? I have the same problem sometimes, by the way, but but I want to hear why you why you say that. Um, for me, like, I was always raised to, like, not, not act big or be as bold as possible. I was sort of trained to be invisible, not make a, make a ruckus. Is that something that you think it serves you no i think it actually makes me much more easily exploitable much more of a scapegoat and and who who trained you to be that way mom dad parents culture like where'd you where'd you get that training from uh definitely my mom yeah yeah definitely my grandma was always at home but whenever we were out like i even when I when I was a kid, I would notice like micro racial aggressions, like at the store even, and like I would always want to say something, and my mom would always tell me to like shut up, <laughs> you know. So she she kind of taught me at like a young age to like not raise my voice or say something when I when I see something. You know, I, I have this prepared later on, but I'm gonna just ask it now because I wonder. Um, me and my friends, we talk about this idea of like creatives versus an artist. And like a creative is somebody who can do creative things, right? Like draw, cook, you know, play piano. That's creating, right? You're creating something. But an artist actually has a point of view when they are creating, right? That's mm -hmm. our kind of loose definition between just being a creative and being an artist. Now, if your mom has suppressed or you are suppressing your voice because of the training from your mom, do you think that the difference between like creatives and, and people who like paint and do muralists who are muralists and somebody like Banksy is the difference between having the comfortability to voice your reaction to the world 
do you have this sort of need that's that to 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 communicate to the world that's being suppressed or do you not really have a need you just want to do creative art I think it started out as like a form of expression like a, a escapism creative escapism um because I you know when I was a kid I would draw to pass the time but also as a form of like self coping cuz I had a pretty turbulent childhood but like now I feel like I want to explore like where I come from and stuff and so I incorporate all of that into my my work. And where do you come from? Vietnam. Cameron you, Bay. You were born in Cameron Bay or mm -hmm. and how old were you when you came here? I was 3 and uh to the states but we lived in the Southeast Asian Refugee Processing Center um in the Philippines for a bit before we migrated. And do you remember any of it? No, I just see pictures pictures yeah mm -hmm. yeah and then so where did your family relocate to we relocated to fresno california and that's like where um that's where i grew up and then at the age of 21 i moved to san diego why so i've been i've been in san diego now for like 13 years what, why did you move to san diego i honestly like um i was just visiting i wasn't planning on <laughs> moving yet but my i went out with some friends and i got my purse stolen and at the time I didn't have a car. So like everything in my purse was gone, my money, my credit cards. And um, I just ended up staying because a friend like offered a job. Wait, you didn't have anything because your stuff got stolen and you just stayed there? Yeah. <laughs> like I just kind of felt like, well, I hated my life back home. And I was always dreaming about like leaving. And the opportunity just sort of presented itself. So I took it. Wait, hold up. So what opportunity presented itself? Well, I, I just got stranded. So I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to be here. And I was trying to get a ride back home because I had two jobs at the time. And I couldn't make it back. And I got fired from like both. And so a friend of mine heard that I was stranded in San Diego. I was crashing on my sister's couch at the time. And oh, you were with family. Well, yeah, my okay. sister had just moved to San Diego. And I was actually there visiting until I went out with some friends, had some drinks, and that's when my purse was stolen. Um, but someone offered me a job as like a receptionist at like a, a medical marijuana dispensary. Yeah. And I just ended up staying. Dang. And then what did you do? I mean, all the stuff at home, Fresno, you just, did you leave it there? Or you just. I left it there. Wow, that's cool. And did you have any money at the time? <laughs> no. See, and, and, and I tell you why that's really cool to me because, like, if you think about it, right, at any time we can just, like, be in these situations that are, like, really weird and strange, and it might change our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And at that age, did you know what you wanted to do? No, I was, I was probably, like, more lost than I've ever been. I was so stressed out. I was, like, my hair was falling out. And um, I was bartending and doing odd jobs. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of like, but I think that everyone's sort of lost in their early 20s. Yeah, Do you yeah. remember what it was like for Co you? Totally, totally. Were you broke? Were you lost? Broke, I like lost. I, I Sometimes I still feel that way. Sometimes. Same. Some days, <laughs> yeah. Some days I still feel that way. Mm -hmm. But I think that like when we take these, um, I don't know, I, I don't claim myself to be like a full-blown artist, but I definitely have like very creative genes. And mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes creative people 
um, are untethered to some sort of reality sometimes. I agree. I think being artistic, well, I always knew that I wanted to be an artist. I just didn't think it was possible because my parents kept telling me that it was going to be rough and it was going to, it was not possible. It was going to be a hard road. Um, so I definitely like kind of, I was more interested in financial security because being so broke, I was like, well, I need to find a job ASAP, get some health insurance. And so I did, I found like an art internship and then worked my way up to operations manager in like a short seven years. And I was so fucking miserable. Um, when that, when that opportunity like closed, I just jumped headfirst into art and it's been like such a crazy journey. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you are 21, you're living in San Diego uh, how long does it take for you to start realizing that you want to pursue the path that you're on now? It took me, I would say, like seven years before I started to believe in myself. But I was I was at like a low, low point. I was super depressed. I was I had lost the job. Um, there was a lot of drama there because, I, I found out that I was making a lot less than my male colleagues. And I raised my concern that I, well, I wanted to raise. And I knew that I was being underpaid. And I had brought that to management's attention. And then all of a sudden, I had a target on my back um, at work. And it was a whole shit show. But after that journey ended, I was so lost and depressed again, like right back where I started at 21. And um, it wasn't until then I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I going to go find another job where I'm doing the same shit? Or am I gonna, like, start living my life? So when I told my parents too, I was like, I'm not getting back into corporate America. <laughs> they were like, well, what are you going to do? And it took, and I was actually like, when I when I started painting again, I started getting jobs like almost immediately. And I never had to advertise. And wow. then my mom would always ask me, like, do you have enough money for rent? I'm like, yeah, I got it. Stop asking me. I think it, it took her like two years before she actually stopped asking me. Did, did you ever go to school, like uh, college for art? I took some night classes, like maybe two semesters worth at City College. And that was it. And then, but did you go to college for like your corporate jobs or anything? No, I'm actually a high school dropout. No shit. A lot of people like shit when they hear me say that. This episode is brought to you by Red Boat Fish Sauce. I love cooking with Red Boat because it's made with only two ingredients, wild-caught anchovies and sea salt. This premium fish sauce is made in Phu Quoc, Vietnam and bottled right here in California. You can find Red Boat at select Asian supermarkets like 99 Ranch, H Mart, and Tong Phak. But yeah, I'm actually a high school dropout. Let's, can we get into that? <laughs> sure. You seem to wear that with a badge of like honor. <laughs> Is that true? No. You have no shame about it. You're like, you know, I'm actually a fucking college dropout or a high no, school dropout. You're just catching me at such a weird time in my life. A good time, right? A good time. A yeah. good time, yeah. A good time and a fuck it time, you know? So I just don't care anymore. I'm tired of like judging myself too, so mm. harshly. And um, I, definitely don't want to put this illusion up that you have to go to college to be successful yeah i completely agree with that i mean it's getting worse and worse i I get 
I talked to so many people about this, and it's confusing right now. It's a confusing time. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, right, if, if you watch enough videos and your brain... <laughs> this is some funny shit. My, my brother and I talk about this. If you watch enough videos and your brain grows and you begin to, like, get curious every month about newer things, right? And you do that for a few years and you, you know, work some odd job and you get really smart at what is going on in the world today, right? And you get educated and you get hip to the game and you get this like structure that's happening in the world. You can actually make a lot of money if you don't conform. But the problem I think is that we're all like, in a race to conform Mm -hmm. and so we're just like kind of doing the same shit and we don't think outside the box yeah i agree um i well because i come from nothing i kind of started hustling pretty young yeah so i mean i did all types of i sold all types of shit um like art even in class like i would just kind of draw my friends names and like charge them some money for like i don't know just you know fun money and um yeah (laughs) but but why did you drop out of high school i was i was actually really good in um school like i got great grades but life at home was pretty rough and my mental health was declining and i just couldn't wait to grow up at the time and so i ended up just dropping out and like working i got kicked out a lot when i was a kid so i started like just spending time at my friend's house and just started trying to find like independence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, all of that shit is so important for like the journey of like art. It really is. Cause it, it adds these like necessary layers to, to who we are and the way we see the world. Right. Yeah. Art has helped me see the world very, very differently. It's helped me believe in myself when I I didn't, and um, just to like it's touched people. It's brought people into my life that I wouldn't have otherwise, you know, had um, them in it. And it's it's like kind of it's also brought like this dark, weird side yeah. into my life, um, which we can get into later, because people, you know, people kind of think of you differently if once you start getting jobs and i i don't know it it tends to get a little catty in the art community once you you know you i guess get any form of success yeah i hear that i hear that from uh from other artists now how did you start getting into mural painting oh it's kind of funny uh, kind of a funny story i usually like Whenever there's an opportunity, what I usually do is I'll just say I know how to do it so I can get the job. And that's exactly what happened with mural painting. Someone had approached me and asked if like, if I knew anyone that um, could paint murals. And I said, me. And so I just like Googled everything, YouTubed everything and like taught myself how See, to do it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. You could figure it out. Like if you have that like resourcefulness, which by the way, not everybody has. Mm-hmm. Because like when I don't know how to do something... I mean, obviously, it depends on, like, what it is. If I have, like, a slight interest, I'll probably figure it out. Yeah. Um, And, like, because things are so accessible via YouTube, Google, 
chat GPT, you know, like all of those things. Um, you can, you can really teach yourself how to do a lot nowadays. My brother is teaching me how to program like on chat GPT. It's the craziest shit where like, I don't even think of myself as even comfortable on the computer, let alone programming. But it's true. I mean, this day and age, which is scary, there's so much that we are given. But then if we're given the same shit, everybody else is given the same thing too. So the competition is can be fierce. Yeah, especially in the art world, it can be fierce. But if you have your own style and people are seeking you out for it, I don't, I don't really consider that competition. Yeah, that's true. And if you're going to have scarcity mindset for the rest of your life, which I did, like you're only going to have like a, a limited scope of yeah. the world and you're only going to be attracting like very low grade opportunities. Now, when I think about what you say about low grade opportunity, what is the difference in your mind with the mindset of attracting low-grade opportunity versus high-grade. Like, for you to even bring that up, right? There's some science, or not science, but more like mechanical things that you are practicing mm -hmm. for you to even be aware of like low-grade opportunity versus high-grade. For you to bring that up, I'm like, oh, all right, let's get into that. What's the mechanics of that? Well, I think that it has a lot to do with like your your being and like again your view of the world because if you are only thinking like there's not enough room out there if that's your lens of the world is this our community this world is so small that um these the 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 money is scarce then you're only going to be attracting that level of gigs and jobs yes, right exactly um and also like what am I trying to say? So like every every client, no matter how small or a big or big of a budget it is, I know that within their network, if if I if I create like such an amazing experience working with this individual and they become a believer in me, imagine how many doors that they will open for me. And vice versa. Because I love to work with people who I can also cross promote. Um, because I, I do truly believe in people. And I just think that like, if I'm, if I'm like creating projects from like a dream state, meaning anything is possible, then that client might be like, might, and this has happened before where they refer me to someone because they know I have a dream and I want to manifest it. They're like, well, I think I can help you. I'm going to refer you to someone and they could probably, let's pitch them the idea. And most times they say yes. How many murals have you done? Um, over like 400. Holy shit. I've lost track, but it's definitely over 400. So I'm thinking in my, literally, I'm thinking in my mind, maybe 70, 80, mm -mm. fucking 400. I did some pretty heavy research because the market was saturated in San Diego. And I'm, I have like a research mind. So like, because of that resourcefulness, if I'm interested in something and my interests are all over the place. If I'm interested, I always try to find gaps in the market. I always try to find niches that I can go into and like offer either a product or a service. I've been hustling since I was super young. Um, but in the world of muraling, there are gaps. And without giving too much away, I did create 
this brand with my husband where we're creating artwork that is not only like functional, but it helps kids with autism and special needs and all kinds of backgrounds. So it's more interactive play and interactive educational. I'm like trying to figure out if I'm going to take the technical route with you right now or continue down that route. <laughs> but I feel like if I continue down that route, I feel like we can't get into it because it sounds like some special sauce stuff going on, right? Mm -hmm. The gap stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, there's, there is. Um, it's just proprietary kind of, you want to protect that space a little bit. I mean, we can, we can talk about it, but, but um, I think that there's a lot other, there are a lot of other topics that we, we can get into yeah i think that might be a little bit more interesting okay, because cool. of our audience um but the the artwork just just so you know we we can touch on it you know this sounds selfish but you know who the <laughs> audience is right now huh it's just me <laughs> That's well i'm i'm i would assume like okay i'm envisioning that some of our viewers might be like oh i want to be an artist but i don't think it's possible either you know so um it's possible viewers but, you know <laughs> that's 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 me that's that's how I I look at it sometimes. I'm like, I want to be an artist and I don't feel like I'm doing anything, you know, like artistic and I mean, that's how I think. Now, whether you know the, the general public views me as somebody who's accomplished something or not, I don't ever think of it like that. I always think of it as a, I'm 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 in this chair so I can learn like what that and especially the technical shit right now is so like I I'm like itching to to ask you about it. Mm. Because for me, there's two things when you think of murals. For me, on the size that you've done them at, mm -hmm. there's two things that I think about. How the hell do you get this color shit consistently even throughout the whole canvas of a building or a side of a massive wall, number one? How do you get the shading? How do you get all of that consistent with your vision? Number two, how do you get the proportions down like... Do you have to like keep getting off the ladder or the or the or the scaffolding and then you know take a step back and and envision you know in your mind or your phone like how does this work? Um, really good questions. In the world of muraling, um, you can use a projector to scale your artwork, so you're basically tracing at that point, or you can use like the doodle method which is you just drawing a bunch of like random symbols on the wall. You take a step back, you take a picture, and then what you do is you bring in your reference, your actual artistic reference. You create an overlay that's transparent, and so you could see point of references underneath. Oh, shit. I'll show you. Like, no, no, no. I've seen it. After the podcast, it. you have. I've seen it on your, your, your IG page. I get it now. They're like these weird signs on the, mm -hmm. on the side of these walls, and I'm like... Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Like, I was like, what the hell? Why are these weird things like just showing up on, on the side of the walls? And then you have a progression. <laughs> it's kind of random. Um, but yeah, I learned that on YouTube. Also, it's like the quickest way to scale up artwork like on the fly without having to use a projector. And just so you know, like using a projector is not always easy because you have to be at like the right vantage point and angle. And sometimes I've had to keystone project, which is where you're at such a awkward angle, like either up high or down low, and you have to like compensate inside of a program to make it cast directly, like accurately. And, and is it because like whatever you're putting the projector on, you don't have the proper like mm -hmm. telescope? Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever thought about getting one of those? Well, that doesn't really help 
either because the the telescope is a is a ladder or a scaffold essentially that's what i use and that's easier because it has multiple purposes um a telescope at this point i've i've i just compensated in the in the program so it like let's say i project from here to like the door and i'm trying to get that image to be completely like straight and accurate i could do that from this angle, angle. using photoshop i would just skew like yeah it's kind of, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. hard to explain yeah. because like my brain hurts when i do it it still hurts after 400 of them that yeah it's pretty like grueling. The, like what you see on your computer screen is such a distorted image but it compensates for all of the angles that you're working with. So if you're walking by the wall, the actual wall, wall where the mural is going, it would just look like a straight on image of with of your art artwork without it being distorted at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. It <laughs> makes sense. It makes sense. What about the coloring? Oh, the coloring. Yeah. So how I started with my color palette was I was just trying to save paint one day. I, I got a job and it was just like flowers and a face. And I just wanted to save money on not having to buy more paint. And so I started experimenting um, with layering a bunch of different colors and hues together. And I just sort of like discovered my style that way. Oh, so your, your palette is contained. It's not like all over the place it's like there's a set defined parameters and where you what inks or what colors you use well now it is but before it wasn't i was just going with whatever i had so i was just seeing what worked well what worked damn so it's like within constraints mm -hmm. this pattern emerges that because i was like looking at your work i was like how do you stay so um, consistent with the coloring, but now it makes sense? I like to stick with a lot of warmer hues. Yeah. That's what you mostly see. But, and then someone had brought it to my attention that like, what, like I see a lot of reds in Vietnamese culture and, you know, um, is there some influence there you think? And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I really think that there is. And I didn't realize it until mm -hmm. like way later, but I'm, I like my mind always thinks about like chilies and red envelopes and lanterns and dancing lions, like memories yeah. of like br bright, like red, pink flowers. And um, it just totally makes sense. Like as soon as that person said it, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like that's been a huge influence in my work and without me even knowing it. Wow. It's amazing. It's like um, a memory of a country that, could have probably been embedded as an infant or you know because there's mm -hmm. those colors those vibrant colors in vietnam and and you know when we're out in the diaspora and we're existing out in the real world there's these sort of color signals that signify like vietnam yeah especially for me like if you, if i had to like put vietnam in one snapshot it would be like boom real because <laughs> mm. there's all the all of the variety the right and the abundance and the textures yeah like and that's like my favorite childhood dish still my favorite dish and when i think about my work and what, what inspired the color palette i would have to say it was that dish oddly enough 
Yeah, that that is a um Yeah, I'm thinking about it right now like <coughs> If you look at that poster, the Three Seasons poster, there is a lot of Bungryo in that poster. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, and that that poster reminds me of uh this tree and you'll see it everywhere in Vietnam, especially during the summer. <laughs> Bless you. Um it's called uh oh, forget the name in Vietnamese. My friend told me this like childhood memory of his when he was in school and during the summer the trees would bloom red bright red flowers that looked like butterflies and every summer when they would the students in school would see that tree and bloom they would know that school was almost out and so what they did at the end of the school year was press those flowers into butterfly shapes into each other's notebooks as a keepsake and like write well wishes or love letters or just you know when you Damn, used to write notes cool in school I, i've never heard of that in my life i wonder if it's that tree right there it might be but in english it's a royal people call it like different things, things like yeah. royal poinciana i hope poinsettia point no yeah. poinciana poinciana point c yeah p-o-i-n-c-i-a-n-a royal and some people call it like royal phoenix flower but um i have a painting of it on my instagram um, based on the story my friend told me. That is dope as shit. I, yeah. When I told my mom about it, she was like, oh yeah, I used to do that too. Wow. I was wow. Like, Damn. So it's like a real thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. If we go back to the technical side of, 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 of mural painting for you, how long... Um, wait. Before we get to the how long of it, um, I want to know what is the biggest mural do you think is possible like if you can like think about if somebody commissioned you and and sat you down in a meeting and said you know i got this massive huge hotel what is the biggest you can go oh man i would paint the i would paint that thing from top to bottom oh so there's no infinite there's no like there's, numbers that you can't there's a minimum <laughs> there's what's a- the minimum I usually I usually don't take anything less than three k now. Yeah, just because there's like design time and la- like admin labor yeah. going back and forth with revisions and. So three k could give you what like a size of like a three car garage. Like what what does three k mean? Like three thousand dollars. Right, right. But I, what is that? How? What's the minimum size of a three thousand dollars? Oh, I I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> for some reason my mind went what like I could fit in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> my mind see how like my mind works um it, it would be like i don't know like a 10 by 10 size wall yeah yeah and do you charge by like square foot feet or like there's this there's a sliding scale and there's also like very very variables i should say so like if artistic detail is lower then obviously mm. like i could bring the price down a little bit or you know like scale up with coverage and bring that detail down mm. if my client doesn't care about so much detail but i usually never scale back on the detail anyway because if i'm going to put my name on something out there like in my mind i know that this could serve as like an ad for me for future work and most times like people are always like oh i like what you did here um, I would like for you to paint for my restaurant or my business or my school. So wow. I always just try to go big yeah, and yeah. maximize their budget. And then, um, well, actually how I started was exactly that. They had a pretty low budget. It was the school that my, the niche is within the school market. 
Um, I had a client slash friend and um, she said, we have a really small budget, but what we could, what we have is a big network. And I said, okay, let's see what we could do here. And this is where creative creativity can also enter the business space. And because I come from a corporate background, I can kind of carry some of that salesy mindset, I guess, into um, the art world. But I basically formed a contract with them to um, introduce me to like everybody they knew for like an insane art piece. The art piece itself took like 65 hours for a super small budget and it paid off. Like 10 schools contacted me and I've been busy ever since. Wait, how do you set up a contract to say, I'm going to do this for you, but you have to refer me to... I mean, it, I it, a lot of it is the honor system. And uh, most times, like, it. people are like, thank you for your service and um, bye. <laughs> uh, well, what made you think that they... Why would they... Why would the first contract honor that for you? Because they seem like really good people. I was already working with her in a, on a previous, like, project. And... Um, she kept her word. So you're like, art. let me let me drop my 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 fees mm-hmm. up front, but just kind of honor this if you can just refer me to people. Mm-hmm. Fucking genius. It's an that's genius. I th- I think there's a lot of people out there who really want you to succeed, and yeah. when you find those people, and they ca- they are their word and they carry through. Like I I don't know. I feel like that is <laughs> what's left in humanity, right? Like I want you to succeed, so I'm gonna do everything I can to use my network, my resources, and give them to you. Just because I believe. Now, going back to the question, what is the biggest one you've done? Um, I don't even keep track anymore. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's probably because I get so lost in the, in, in the project and I'm trying to scale with coverage. Um, but there's this... Stadium Bleachers project my husband and I just finished and it's probably like a hundred feet by a hundred feet. Oh shit. It's pretty big. It's you know, like you know, this stadium bleachers at a football game. Um, and there's like a massive tiger that's just painted. Um, there's another one in Long Beach that I really enjoyed working on. It was um summer of twenty twenty two during the Long Beach Walls mural festival. It's at a library and it's like two stories um, wrapped around like a building and it's at the Burnett library in Long Beach if you want to go check it out. But I just wrapped the building half of it. I didn't have time to finish the whole thing um, with just a ton of flowers. When you say the word wrap, it triggers me to think about like the actual wrapping of like vinyl and like people putting images on big printers and then taking the vinyl and then putting it up, slapping up against the building. Does that encroach into your business at all? Yeah, we've, we've offered it as a, like a cost effective option. Um, but we don't like it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, you can provide it. You can, you can do it yourself. You can, but it just doesn't have the same visual impact because when you're painting something by hand, you're transferring your energy onto the canvas. And when people see it, that, energy is transferred to your viewer and so there's sometimes when i walk by a mural and i'm like wow that just took my breath away or it makes me feel a certain way and i and i think that that is the beauty of art but when you just 
create something and then you print it and then you like nothing nothing hits prints just don't hit for me and i ask a lot of people too like what do you think about this final it's okay it just feel the yeah. same and I'm wondering if the world of um, modernization of like AI and all these things with in regards to the arts, like cooking and murals and what you're talking about, the transfer of energy is something that we don't see and think about often. But the reality is when you do shit as a human being, that energy is being broadcasted in in a weird like molecular way mm -hmm. that people can feel and when you're like doing shit that's like when you make a pill and you know that that pill can feed somebody and sustain them with protein and everything but the burst of a bungrio that your mother made that energy that she put into it it's so different yeah there's there's not i don't think like um that touch is ever going to go away as a need and and as a desire for humans like just because we're human beings we we require connection in order to thrive and to be nurtured so that's why i wanted to do an in-person interview yeah. because it's still going no, to fall short no. yeah i get it yeah. um but i just in the world the changing world with ai and um it it is scary but at the end of the day, don't don't let it scare you because what you need is what the world needs. So as long as you're creating your art and it's going to inspire people and it's your style and and it connects you with people and it and people connect with you for it, it's never gonna go out of style. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. And I and that's why I do appreciate when somebody really pushes the in person you know, um, podcast, mm -hmm. which I'm getting a lot more of that. But, you know, there's a fear in me too that, um, you know, I just feel like it's, damn, you have to drive all this way. You have to, f somebody there's has to find. There's a lot find. of pressure. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I have to entertain. I don't know, just be yourself. Yeah. I, you don't have to entertain me. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't feel the pressure to entertain you. I feel that, you know, you drove all this way. I feel just guilty that you had to do it. But I'm like, once you're here, let's fucking do this right? i was joking about that part but i i really do believe that like we need you know that social anxiety that we all feel because of covid or whatever like it definitely got more intense for me when i started doing like in-person interviews again when you know like just client site meetings and things like i just it like people scare you because during the pandemic people you know pretend like not i wouldn't i shouldn't say pretend but it really showed us who we where we are yeah in terms of levels of empathy levels of compassion like it was just kind of like a mirror um like we got to do a lot better than this mm -hmm. we're definitely not prepared for disaster uh, another pandemic we're not prepared for natural disasters even we're like what i see that the united states is very very efficient at is just capitalism yeah and yeah, war yeah we'll get into that yeah <laughs> and we'll definitely get into that but before we get into that i want to um return back a little bit because of how far you've come i'm curious about the traumas and the family life that you left has it improved have you come back have you gone back to your family um and what is it like now 
now that you've quote unquote not mated, but you've you've broken free? Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I don't know if I'm going to have that happy ending with what it is that I'm looking for. Because like I said earlier, my childhood was very turbulent. And because I'm, you know, I'm a part of a family that, that like migrated to the States and assimilated, there was, there were parts of our culture that we held on to, but I lost a lot of my Vietnamese identity because of that assimilation, um, trying to fit in, trying to be American, trying to speak perfect English so you don't get made fun of or bullied. Um, but r despite all that, I, I still dealt with a lot of racism and um, growing up with a lot of internalized racism too had a lot to do with like just who I am now and trying to like trying to repair all of that and trying to make amends and also show my family that I don't forget where I come from but this and not to mention the generational generational trauma that I could see that has played out in my own life as well as like my siblings and um, everybody in the, like right now and where what's happening is I'm trying to reconnect with family overseas back home in Vietnam. And I get a lot of stories, you know, kind of fed to me from both sides, but I'm actually worried about building a relationship with anyone outside of my immediate family, because I'm worried about hurting them if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because I'm worried about getting too close with my aunt in Vietnam because it might hurt my mom because my mom doesn't really get along with my aunt. And I don't want her to feel like I'm taking sides. That's one example. Um, another is I'm trying to hold back a little bit and that's the, the reluctance you hear in my voice because I really don't want to upset anybody with what I'm going to say on this podcast. Um, trying to trying to heal from generational trauma that I've seen show up so prevalent during my childhood and even till now has in fact incre increased more distance and more resistance between family members, between my mother and my siblings. Because when there is a fight that let me let me tell you an example when there's a fight that is about to break out um and there were a lot of them i would try to calm everybody down but my methods are the methods that i learned from traditional western psychotherapy practice right and so they actually take it as a threat and they actually take it as if i'm belittling them and so the tools that i've learned to regulate myself are now becoming threatening to my own family. And so I'm, I now don't have effective ways to communicate. And I don't know if that's relatable to yeah, Oh fuck. Are you kidding me? Really? That's totally relatable. That's relatable uh, in all of our, you know, yes, it's completely well, relatable for a Vietnamese, um, person living overseas in America. And it's relatable because there's like this psychotherapy, this Western approach to communicating that I went through this with my mother yesterday. <laughs> and it was like, 
it felt like it was like I was weaponizing mm-hmm. my psychoanalysis on her and she felt attacked. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Mom, you can't you like I'm I'm sharing something I'm so proud of right now. You can't like a you can't like come with an axe and like like break my legs down with a like this comment, you know, like this underhanded comment. And I'm like trying to get it through it. And I'm trying to like neuralist like try to reprogram the way she's talking but it's like is it fair that i'm doing this to her it's such a conflict yeah so it is fucking very relatable what you're saying i'm like yes there's there's so many layers to it too um but it and then you know when you bring up therapy in general because i think it's it's a good thing that you know anybody would want to work on themselves and heal from their trauma um but the second i bring it bring up therapy the response has always been I don't need therapy. It's for weak people. Or crazy people. Or crazy people. So there's that stigma. Yeah. But you see generational trauma and how it plays out and how it shows up in relationships. And yet it's it's just so it's so taboo and it's, you know, you don't want to go there because then your your peers might think you're crazy or whatever. But I tell everybody, I'm in therapy and I'm healing. It's working. And I'm I'm sh- I'm using what I'm learning to show up in this relationship with you. And now that I know what boundaries are and I try to impose them, they come off as attacks to my family. Like for instance, the other day I said, you don't have to air this part. Well, we're going to air it, so oh, you, yeah, shit. just be careful what you say cuz I don't cut. In my family, it it's really quick for them yeah, to say flare up. yeah it's really quick for them to say i'm going to stop talking to you you're no longer my daughter or you'll never hear from me again and i think and then time goes by and then we pretend like nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> are you hungry you know like that's the classic all right i love you so let's let's eat and that's wait, why food wait wait there is an I love you? No, there is oh, not. Oh, you just well, said I love you. No, no, that's the I love you. Oh, got you. it. I, I, that's me. the I love you. Okay, got um, it. I was the, like, what? Like, you're you're, you're, wait, you're not making sense right now when you say I love you. <laughs> serious question to you. Um, do you say I love you to your mom? Does no, she say it back? No. Nah. No way. Nah, we can't do that shit. I broke that, that barrier with my mom. I that know, was great. You young folks. I oh. mean, I, I, I look, it's not about a young folks or not. I'm, I'm just fucking around with that. I, I just think it's an issue of in, intention. Like if you could say it in your head and go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to start now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how old you are. Because I've seen guys who are older than me do it. But I just don't have that that resolve to do it, you know. I wish I can. But it, feel, <coughs> it just feels so weird to do it with my mom. Mm. What What... I've learned in therapy is this. You may you may not get that I love you. But what you can focus on is like her love language and accepting that as right. a form of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Food is Totally. Food is huge. the mother Vietnamese mother's love language. And and yeah. and, and I I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. It's it's more than enough for me. Yeah, and I mean that's more than a more than a lot of 
you know, more than what other people get totally. sometimes. Totally. Like I just read Stephanie Fu's book, What My Bones Know, highly recommend. But um, her traumas are very similar to to my traumas. And as as you go through the book, she she's very... She talks about epigenetics, which I think is so interesting because what that means is um, how trauma can be passed down through your DNA. Fears can be passed down in, through your DNA. It's programmed inside of these it's, molecular cells. It's yeah. like you didn't have you didn't have yeah, a damn choice. choice. And when you when you look at what's happening now in the world, and also when you reflect with like past wars, there are there are generational like epigenetic. Um, programming yes Mm -hmm. that will affect generations to come from war so um i just think that's so interesting and also like just so disheartening you know that when the war is over it's not really over for a lot of people um but yeah i'm going off on a tangent no i mean this is (laughs) back to the i love you really quick um my mom has never gotten an i love you from her mom and so we broke that, you know. Did she tell you I love you now? Yes. And she didn't like a lot growing up. And so that was more of like a mm, last decade type of thing. Last two decades, maybe. Um, but, yeah. My, my my big thing now is to like have my mother recognize when my brother and I are triggered and to explain it to her. And... What I tried to do yesterday in a bit, this huge argument that I had with her was I repeated over and over and over again. At some point, I got really heated and loud, but then I had to like calm down and be like, can you just repeat next time I call something out? Can you just say, I see how that offends you. I understand that. That's all I fucking need i don't i don't need an apology i don't need to say it's a a new day i don't need to say you've changed i don't need any of that shit all i need is for you to just recognize it because when you come to me with the problem i always tell you mom yes i recognize that i'm just too weak i can't change it Mm -hmm. right because she says your interviews with these older vietnamese people would be better if you used the word uh vung and tua right it's like you know it's this way of addressing older folks i'm like Mom, I agree with that. I just can't do it because it's just awkward, and I'm 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 trying to do it, but I'm not fighting you. I hear you, and and I just want that level of recognition. Is like when I tell you, like I'm showing off to you about like this accomplishment. I don't need you to say, look back in the last three years, and you fucking you 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 sucked. And I'm like, what <laughs> does that help? <laughs> Oh man! Why does that help? If I'm like I'm like a little child, you know, I'm I'm your little child, and I'm telling you, hey mom, like I'm 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 doing so well today because I did this, 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 and that, and then she's like, well, you could have done better if you fucking thought about the last three years of you know, and I'm just like, yeah, fucking lose it at that point. For some reason, there's like these victories you bring to the table or bring to their attention. I remember this very explicitly, especially when you're young, you know. Um, these memories like kind of just stay in your head, but like there's always that like, oh, but I noticed this dis- discrepancy. Yeah, and it's like what the Why? fuck, and then you get this like complex with trying to always be perfect and perfectionism, yeah. and it's just not the way the world works. It's just not. 
striving for per, per, perfection is always going to lead you down like a, you know. A dark path. Yeah. Yeah. It's a dark path. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, well, let's get back into this. <coughs> This war conversation, because this shit's like heavy now. Oh, man. I <laughs> The conversation's getting dark. Yeah, it's getting dark. Let's get it darker. <laughs> oh, um, shit. Yeah. You know, I, I, I talked to um, several people about this, and I'm like, how is it that in 2023, going into 2024, this shit's still going on? Like, the killing... Like, I'm not going to get in the politics of anything. I'm just wondering... The killing of just civilians. How is this fucking continuing? When we, as a people, our parents' generation, and all, they had to endure so much death in the 70s. And mm-hmm. now today, fucking 50 years later, we're, <coughs> we're, we're dealing with this shit. Thank you. Um, why? Uh, a lot of reasons. I think that our we're electing or our world leaders are either sociopaths or psychopaths. And not, that's not to say every single politician is a sociopath or a psychopath, but I believe in my heart that if you're willing to say that it, it's war, we can't protect all civilians. That's, that's the uh, what? Are, what do they call it? That's collateral collateral damage, damage of war. And I just I can't believe that that is where we are at in in humanity. Is we're willing to say we'll take some losses, but it's not some losses. You can't even guarantee the safety of your own people if you're indiscriminately bombing um, a location. Not even what was the size. Do you remember? It's like it's it's smaller than California. Yeah, it's tiny. It's like a uh, maybe like I don't know, maybe fifty square miles or thirty square miles or something like that. Mm. When you all when you add it all in, I I could be very wrong, but it's tiny. It's like the size of like some coastal area of of, of uh, Southern California. Mm-hmm. It's not big. It's tiny, and it holds two point two million people. It's like one of the most populated areas in the world. And more than fifty percent is children. It's it's a really sad um, situation for sure, and I'm not going to pretend like I know the solution or I I'm a expert in world politics, but I think as as individuals we need to hold ourselves to a really high moral standard and say that violence is absolutely 100% not the answer, and it's so wrong. Can I ask you um, about your work and as it relates to? Do you ever feel like you can do something with the mural that can re-trigger, replenish, reprogram the way people driving by it can feel. Do you ever think about that? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've done some pretty extensive research with like school counselor counselors and um, therapists and occupational therapists to try to use to to engineer art that can affect mood. Um, especially for for students at schools, and research does show that like bright and beautiful colors can improve your mood. It can, you know, if you make something scary, use darker colors and red for blood and things like that. Like you can make people feel afraid. 
Um, you could also utilize like different angles and shapes to make people feel safer or feel like they're in danger, like sharper edges, you know, they, you know, because your mind goes to like knives or um, things like that. And circles can resemble bubbles or confetti. So, so there are ways for you to create artwork that can affect people's like perspective and mood. Um, and I think I'm still trying to figure out like how to use art to change the world, but that is the mission of Mindful Murals, my company. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was Mindful the Murals. Mind- no. Oh yeah, I we love should, it. We should talk about that. But Mindful Murals is the company that my husband and I started because it was born out of a really dark place. So we're like, okay, how do I, um, how do I use art to, um, to how to change my life? How do I use art to change the world? And so mindful murals is a term to to remind. Yeah, put the intention into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, is your husband a muralist too? He is. Yeah, he used to be a social worker. Um, he did that for ten years, and he was super miserable. He experienced a lot of firsthand trauma working in like nursing homes and hospice. So, and the healthcare industry is garbage. Garbage. There, there were times. He's told me so many horror stories, and it just makes me want to like walk into his workplace and like yell at people. But I, yeah, I it's appalling. It's like, appalling. What, 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 what's garbage? Can you give me some examples? Um, that, or general examples, like general, um, like the paperwork process is deliberately confusing to just waste your time or not, or try to avoid giving someone proper health care. Um, especially if you have like, you know, government uh, subsidized healthcare, Medi-Cal, Medicare, things like that. There's also um, in there's also like a culture inside of some of these places where like he I can't even this is actually like really private information, like patient private information. <laughs> but there was a time where um, there was information about a patient that was being sexually assaulted by a family member while she was in a coma and nobody would do anything about it. Nobody would call the cops and nobody would file the paperwork. And I'm not sure why, but he walked out of his job and I'm so proud that he did. Because of that. Because of that issue. Mm -hmm. So there's There's just probably just so much red tape and bureaucracy and all that shit. That's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the headaches of getting involved in that. I also think, like, for me personally, Western medicine just makes my body react, yeah. like, in a way. And so I always try to use... Eastern... Eastern yeah, Western techniques, yeah. Acupuncture, you know, cupping. Um, I haven't done cupping in a really long time, but growing up, my, my parents used to do it on my body. Um, <laughs> yao Yao Sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I use that still to this day. And let, let me medicine. let me <clears throat> let me interject with some crazy shit about this cupping, which I just experienced recently. There's these machines that are like this big, the size of like a big cookie, and it has a suction cup, and it has a button that you push, and it does the suctioning, and you buy like six of those, <laughs> and because I just bought one, and then my mom had her masseuse come over and go, yeah, mm-hmm. and then I brought it out. She goes, yeah, I have like six of these. When somebody wants to get cupped, they just put, and it's there's no danger of lighting on fire. It's just suction, but it's not strong like like real suction cups. Mm-hmm. But they work, and it's it's like it it helps. I'll have to try it. I remember it was the, the quarter that you used yeah. to to do the, the scratching. Yeah, and um, yeah, you would do everything with like a, a lighter or a candle or a mat. You yeah, know, 
a match. But yeah, that brings me back. Wow. What was the question again? Going back to war. Oh, okay. Yeah, we how go did back we get to war. into Eastern medicine for war? Because <clears throat> this is how it works. <laughs> Tangents, you know. Tangents. That, <clears throat> that's why when people go, hey, can you send me questions? I'm like, no, they're useless. Questions are <laughs> fucking prepared questions in a podcast to me is like the death. I prepare it so I subconsciously have like, because now I can remember kind of like what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like part of my mind map of, of you when you're sitting here. But I don't like go to it because I think that loose tangential kind of like conversation is much, it's much more f- like liberating. It's more fun too. It's non-scripted, which I really enjoy because I get nervous just being on podcasts or like in front of a camera anyway. So just having something rehearsed just makes me feel like my answers are going to be rehearsed. Yeah. yeah so yeah. how do you feel now? Better. A little bit more warmed up, but like like you, I'm still practicing myself. I just did public speaking like a few days ago, and um, I was I was so nervous. I I think like there was like a hundred people in the room, which is a lot for me. Yeah, and I was just there were some really personal questions that were asked and I had to talk about, you know, generational trauma and um, my art, which I think is a really vulnerable, vulnerable thing to talk about. And so um, at at first I stumbled a little bit, but I think I got more warmed up and just kind of spoke from the heart, which is what you really, what you all, what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. You get, um, you get uh, warmed up after a few minutes. And when you start talking, you get, comfortable with what is coming out mm-hmm. and um if you keep doing it over and over and over whether it's podcasting or whether it's public speaking um we get better at it yeah a lot of um a lot of people just say you have to practice so here i am i'm practicing so when you look back on like mural number 58 versus mural number 413 mm. is it cringy to you yeah very (laughs) i'm still really proud of it but and i and i'm most of all like above everything i'm just so grateful that people actually saw potential in me to like pay me money while i was learning and it's not like it was terrible terrible work even back then but i i could see like huge improvements just in quality of lines quality and color better color harmony and composition um, so I've grown quite a bit as an artist from <coughs> mural number 50 to 400. Now, the other question is the reverse of that. Can you actually see mural 1000 and go, I want to get to that? Or do you just have to kind of keep doing 500, 600, 700, and you kind of just find your way? Is it an organic process? Or can you see 1,000 go, that is where I want to be, but I need to do this, 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 and that to get there? I I think that um, sometimes right now, like I'm just surprising the hell out of myself. Oh, shit. So I, it takes me way less time to paint something very intricate or detailed now. Like the other day I painted a flamingo. I'll have to show you. And it was my first time painting a flamingo for a school. And I was so shocked at how fast I did it. So sometimes it just kind of your growth like shows up in these random moments. But where I see myself at like mural 1000 is 
more like I, f- I feel like it's going to be more confidence and that's what's going to show up in the work. And that's what I'm striving for because there's th- there's this still like right now what I feel is like th- this fear still that lingers that I'm going to mess up somehow. And that that what that's what hold that is what is holding me back with like composition or even crazier flow or crazier mm. style because I want to get way more comfortable like being able to freestyle and right now I like I have a reference that I start with and I kind of stick to it yeah and only give myself like maybe 35 percent freedom in terms of like um uh free handedness and so there's some areas that are like a little bit tighter I guess I should say and like some areas that are like more loose and you could tell that's where I'm having yeah, fun yeah so mural 1000 is like a hundred percent Tao having fun that's what I'm hoping for and also more confident that's how I, I'm relating it to podcasts right because I'm at, at 315 I've done maybe 350 but released 315 and I think about episode 1000 and in the same way it's it's about um that variant that variation ability to just be free to kind of create and just take risk right yeah ask ask like really interest like questions that are you know more fun to you yeah and then the you know i i get what you're saying yeah. but you're doing a good job i think podcast 1000 is gonna be so much more fun for you <laughs> i'm so excited thank you i mean it's so fun now right it's i'm having such a good time mm-hmm. um you, you know, could tell you could tell yeah, I love this stuff. It's like, I dreamt of this like a decade ago. You know, I really wanted to do something like this. Um, but, you know, um, I want to ask you, um, when you think about San Diego's Vietnamese community, can you talk about, I don't know, like some names? Can you drop some names? Because I think um, San Diego has a few of my favorite people like Tao Ha. Mm-hmm. Um, Taha and Dizzy, um, DJ Slim. You know, I, I don't know if you know who I that don't is. know. Yeah. I didn't, I have not met DJ Slim, but I know Taha yeah. and Dizzy, uh, both are like in sources of inspiration for me. Big dogs in the community. Yeah. yeah. And I really like the that they just want to see everybody succeed yeah. because that is such a different vibe that I get from the Vietnamese community. Totally. Um, there's, you know, people who see me painting outside and they just like kind of look down on me a little bit or they feel bad for me. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird, yeah, it's kind of a weird, uh, perspective. Like I said, art is really widening my view of the world and my view of humanity, but there are people who like, who can't believe that I'm the one painting, like I get, I get looks from you know the Vietnamese guys that smoke cigarettes outside, painting in Little Saigon, and they're just like shaking their head at me, because I have tattoos and I'm outside using spray paint. They're shaking like in a good way or a bad way. In a bad way. But okay, so what what do you think is going on in their body language in their mind? What what is it saying? Um, <clears throat> a lot of thoughts go through my mind. One is. What do you think they're going through? What it. Like, what do you think they're thinking? They think I'm I'm a being too modern, maybe, or like what is this? What is this Vietnamese? Who does she think she is? Really? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna challenge you. Okay. Okay. I challenge you the next time you have that thought to come off the scaffold <laughs> and to fucking have a real conversation. I I swear to God, I think 
I, I really challenge you. And I'll tell you why I say this. A friend of mine and I had this conversation about our fathers. And he said all this stuff about his dad. And he thought that his dad thought this isn't. And he, and he really believed that his dad had these pers- perspective. Mm-hmm. And then so like two or three of us asked this guy. We're like, have you ever talked to your dad about anything? He goes, no. That's just what... <laughs> That's just what I know about my dad. I'm like, no, no. And then we all like circled the wagon. We're like, wait a minute, yo. You have never, like, have you even had dinner one-on-one with your dad? And he's like, I've never done that. (laughs) And so we started to really get into this, right? We started to really go, okay, so your perception is really about like his body language, his like, the way he, you know. So I'm challenging you to get more data points from these dudes who are smoking cigarettes. Because I, I want to hear it. Like let, next year, yeah. let's get back together in the studio. And I want to hear like you got off the ladder, the scaffold like 10 times. And you started to ask these dudes like what's going down in your mind. Challenge accepted. I, I would love to know. Because the, the looks that I get are like shaking of the head. Yeah. The the clicking of the tongue. And, and you, I'm are just they like, more what are they Are they, they more modern guys? Like American no. like they're like 50, 70, 80 year old dudes? I mean what sixty and up. Sixty and up. Okay. Yeah. Do you have enough Vietnamese skills to get down your scaffold scaffold and, and actually yeah, have, have, a, have a conversation with them? Um yeah, I, I I think so. Okay. My Vietnamese is so bad. But now. but you can get down, right? Like yeah. in a respectful like way right God, yeah. i love this conversation right now <laughs> i'm curious too honestly because and just just so you know i'm still learning every day and i'm always wrong i'm always learning something new and i'm always wrong about what <laughs> i think I, i'm just curious because i i cannot accept what you're saying if you haven't had a conversation with any of them now mm-hmm. i can say i can understand if you if you said to me I, i've gotten down the ladder every single time i've had a conversation and Data point, 60% are shaking their heads because they feel like their daughter, like you're their daughter and you they don't want to see you in pain, mm-hmm. right? Like you're in the sun and it's hot and as as a father figure, they're like hurting for you. That's one group of people. And then the other group of people might be like, that shit looks like garbage, right? Like your art looks like dog shit, right? So there's that group. But I need to. I almost spit out my coffee. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Tao, I need to fucking know. I need to know where these dudes are. Like, you know, I need to know too. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm gonna go hunt these hunt these guys down. No, I've actually. Um, I worked at a restaurant. Like, I painted this mural for the for the Vietnamese community to celebrate Asian women, and it was like during the year of the tiger, and this is in the heart of Little Saigon. I <laughs> the all the data I have are dirty ass looks, the shaking of the head and the clicking of the tongue. But what I will say is at the end, a friend of mine, Jean Wee, who's also a really big Vietnamese figure in the Little Saigon community, he put together um, a community unveiling event for the mural. We had It was during Tet and we had firecrackers. We gave away red envelopes with money. We gave away free chrysanthemum flowers, the bright yellow ones for people who came by. We also um, had the lion dancers come through. And I think the supervisor came by. But at the end of the mural, the a few of the guys that were giving me dirty looks before, 
they gave me a thumbs up, no. which is a fucking milestone for me because like nobody does that. So you, if you get a thumbs up and it shakes a little bit like this, like, see. So, but what if what if all those dudes were like, God, daughter, Jesus, fuck, daughter, I, daughter, I feel <laughs> for you, and I, I wish you didn't have to be in the sun, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like my experience with with like. The you know when you're a kid you're listening in you're eavesdropping on these conversations. What I've noticed is there's a lot of like misogyny. In, totally in Asian culture for sure. The the girls kind of get the short end of the uh, stick. I agree. I I'm agree. sorry, but no, I, I I completely agree with you. But the reason I say I challenge that is because not only do you um get the get the data points and you hear it, mm-hmm. but now what if you're at the point where you've heard enough and you can now debate it and understand it and really approach it head on and 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 challenge it right and yeah. and 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 improve the minds of these you know people and um, i mean if they really do have this like weird way of looking at it it's just ignorant people and you know what it, it kind of like in a way like it does hurt me at the beginning of when it does happen but now when i look back i'm i'm like well I I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this so yeah. I could show like yeah. other Asian women that you don't just you don't have to like fit into the mold that was given to you. And so showing up in this this way that I do, um, even though it's super uncomfortable comfortable for me still. And when I choose to pose in front of my dress, in front of my mural, I'm I'm actually saying like I'm a Vietnamese woman and I painted this mural. I exist, and you can do this too. If it's not blatant enough, love it, yeah. Because you're in the red, oh yeah, in one one of these shots, in, yeah. In your Instagram, I, I total respect for that. I love it, yeah, I love it. I the first time I did that, I was so nervous, I almost threw up on the way to, <laughs> because it's like I said, it's not in me. I'm learning how to be this person, and what's weird is like, at first, it seemed like my family was very proud. But I'm getting like this weird vibe now where it's like, you're pretentious, you're arrogant. And it's, I feel like it's misogyny just showing up in the relationship between Asian women, where I'm afraid of showing up the way that I do. And I'm I'm actually afraid, afraid of like displaying too much confidence, because it's going to come off as arrogance. We all have it. I have okay. that too. Yeah, <laughs> I have that too. I have it too. I have that same issue. I had six Aoyas made at the beginning of this year, and I think they look great. But I feel like I'm being arrogant when I when I walk out on stage with it, or I show up in public with it. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 in us. And but th- that's not the only feeling I have. I have all these other weird feelings, like men, straight men, shouldn't be wearing Aoyas in public. It's like all these weird, weird, mm-hmm. weird, weird things attached to. Like who gives a flying I know. fuck? Right? I know. I'm learning how not to. Why give do we a care fuck. about this shit? You know, when you're younger, I don't know if this happened to you, but did you ever hear, um, especially the woman say like "dewa"? Yeah, yeah. I get that. I like that was that was very common, and classism too. Like, don't even get me fucking started. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the Asian community, where like, come on, like we're all like we should be in Backing solidarity. Backing each other up, yeah. yeah. And 
it just it breaks my heart till this day that like no, more Asian women don't back each other up. It's almost like we view each other as if we're threats because there's not enough room for us or something. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of room, people. There's plenty of room for all of us to succeed. But what if that's just programmed in every society, every community? You don't you you just have this natural instinct to like hate, right? And it's just built into human beings. Like I think on some like communal community level and then on the big world stage. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at Michelle Obama and then you think about all the rednecks that hated on her, I mean, it's the same mechanics that are going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're talking from like a global yeah. point of view, I think that the best way to hold on to a dominant sense or a dominant uh, form narrative. of power mm-hmm. or a narrative is to make sure that all of the other narratives are at each other's throats. So like divide and conquer, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of obvious. And when you talk to other people and they're like, oh, fuck this community or fuck that or because they're racist or whatever, I'm like, no, 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 that's a fucking trap. Like, don't do it. Yeah. You're supposed to be building solidarity because at the end of the day, you're both a, a part of a marginalized community. You need to be working together and organizing and strategizing. This is not the way to do it if you're yep. at each other's throats. And Asian women, oh my gosh, we could be we could be planning together, scheming together, creating together if we weren't at each other's throats. There are Asian women that approach me that say, I want to be an artist like you. And I say, come paint with me. Oh, shit. All the time. Come I'm paint teaching. with me. Come paint with me. How cool would it be if like someone um, five years down the road started posing in an aoyai in front of their mural like five more yeah a year after 20 that. more 30 20 more, more. Yeah. yeah and now there's too many of us no i'm kidding <laughs> no there can never be too <laughs> the many hater the hater voice creeps back in <laughs> no i'm joking i i have dark i have a dark sense of humor actually. no it's funny shit um but we'll we'll i'll keep that I'll I'll shelf that for the next episode. <laughs> so so who else in San Diego? There's Dizzy, there's Taoha. Who else is down there that are Vietnamese that are doing some cool shit? I think my friend Han is Han Tran. She's uh owner of Shank and Bone. Her family's been a part of the City Heights. That's where Little Saigon is. They've been a part of the community for a long time. And um, she's definitely a contemporary Vietnamese woman thinking very progressively as to like how she's going to pave the way for her daughters and like future generations. And so when I sat down to work with her on the Shank and Bone mural, um, it's the one that I painted with my husband and Woes in North Park. She understood why representation was so important. And she understood that by advocating for ourselves, it meant bringing uh, an equitable opportunity to the table. So we really planned and like found the funding in order to, you know, to put it into my pocket, to put it into the pockets of the artists I was working with and to shine light on her business because at the end of the day, it's a cross promotional thing. Trying to bring positive and beneficial attention to her restaurant and to her name. And she was trying to do the same thing for me. How much ROI do you think having a mural on a restaurant like that brings in for the owner? I think that it has um, a lot of return of investment for the owner because like, art makes people happy. Art is going to attract a different kind of clientele 
and it's going to help your brand um, in terms of marketing. Like from a PR sense, I think branding with art and pairing that with a art community and seeing how you put and you invest in your communities through art is a really um, just beautiful thing. Because, you, you know, like if you're just setting up a brick and mortar to just make money and the community doesn't see how you invest in them, I think that it's going to show and you're not you're not going to have like a loyalty that is special. What is up next? Uh, Vietnam, murals in Vietnam, traveling with um, like going to other cities in the United States and and doing your murals. What, what's what's up in the um I have a lot of things kind of cooking right now. Um, the next mural that's up, I'm, I'm finishing up a school mural with my husband at the moment. Once that's done, I'm going to be working with um, one of my oldest and dearest friends. Um, he started as his own biotech company, um, and he's using plants to help cure degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and other things, um, which I think is beautiful. But He's bringing me in and just letting me do whatever I want, which is great. And that's all I've ever wanted. So that's next, and that's happening in Miramar somewhere. And um, next year, I'm going to be putting together a community painting event at the Thet Festival in City Heights in, um, during little, uh, the, the Lunar New Year. And in March, I'm putting together a mural festival the, at, in Da Nang, which is considered oh, the shit. second... Yeah, I got linked up with some local artists there and they believe in the power of art and they're putting together a mural festival and they asked me to co-curate it, co-produce it. So I am going to be in Da Nang for three weeks in March, um, painting with like over 30 other artists. Some are Viet A lot of them are local Vietnamese artists, which is so exciting for me because like now I'm seeing that industry like rise in my home country. And I get to bring some friends. Like, I'm hitting up all my girlfriends right now. Like, get your ticket. Let's go paint in Vietnam. Fuck, how exciting. Have you been back to Vietnam? I actually got to go back in April this year. First time since I left at the age of three. So it was like a really emotional experience. And I got to meet my aunt for the first time as an adult. And that was also like so... Where did she... Where was she living? She was living in Cameron, Um I was born in Cameron Bay, close to the coast, and she lives kind of deep. Inland? Yeah. yeah. She, she lives, like, in the jungle. And I it's, – it's, it's such a long story, but I'm going to make it short. I went to – I bought my ticket kind of drunk one night. I was like, I'm just going to go back and, like, hang out, whatever. I felt like it was time, and so I bought the ticket. I ended up – I told my mom, like, maybe a few weeks before, and I was like, hey, should I hit up, like, you know, family there. And she goes, no, don't. And so I was like, okay, I'll listen. I get to Vietnam. And then my aunt starts calling me nonstop, like back to back. I call my mom first to get permission. Like, should I meet up? She's like, yeah, I told her you were there. And I was like, I thought you said I shouldn't meet up with them. I know it's, it's my whole life was like that. And so I meet up with her. I book a flight out of Saigon to go to Cameron Bay. I meet her for the first time and her English is is not good, but she speaks fluent Vietnamese. My Vietnamese is not good at all, and I speak fluent English. So you could imagine just like the broken yeah. 
conversations we were having. So I had to use a lot of like Google translation, um, a lot of pictures to kind of point and things. I could hear and understand a lot of the Vietnamese, but um, I also didn't understand a lot of it. And while I was with her, I just noticed a lot of the ways that she would show me love were almost boundary crossing for me. <laughs> um, so, <coughs> and because I didn't grow up with like such a overwhelming sense of compassionate parenting, it was really hard to accept as well as an adult. Because <coughs> low key, it made me kind of sad to like oh. to like feel this type of love from my aunt now because it just reminded me of how much I didn't have it growing up. And, um, and I'm still processing a lot of that too. But when I would ask her stories, like, please tell me stories about like when you were a kid in Vietnam, like, did you drive motorcycles? Did you, what, what kind of jobs did you have? You know, what kind of dresses did you, or like what colored, what colors were your dresses? Um, did you fight with my mom a lot? Did you guys ever get into sibling like fights? And how, what was my grandmother like as a parent? You know, I'm so curious because a lot <laughs> Sorry. bless you um my grandma was actually like my main abuser growing up and so i have i can't even be in the same room with my grandma now even as an adult and my father was not around i've never had a mute like a one-on-one -on -one meal with my dad i've never even had a conversation with my dad it was always like a very um transactional relationship Where, where's he now I have no idea. Yeah. Oh, and sidetrack. I just found out that I have a half sister. And then from that half sister, I met, I met her this year in Hawaii, um, which is another crazy story. <laughs> but my half sister actually told me that she found out from her mom that he has another daughter. <coughs> I know. <laughs> Scoundrel. We all have it. Yeah. I have that too. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I went back earlier this year, had like a huge homecoming yeah. trip, super emotional trip. And, um, and what's weird is when you go back to where you're from, you just kind of go to places and it feels familiar, you know, um, without you really being able to pinpoint, like, I don't know, it was, it was such a life-changing experience. Like right around the corner from my, my aunt's house is this like massive lotus field and it just felt like I've, I'd been there before. Like, I felt like I was... It was more fun than Disneyland being there for me. I can imagine. Massive. <laughs> As an artist, you see the world in a, in a very different way than probably most of us. And being in a lotus field with all those colors and um, the warmth of Vietnam's vibration, I can understand that. I can totally get it. You smell garlic like in yeah. the distance somewhere, like fried garlic. Yeah. You could hear someone karaoke like just uh, like on the other side of that that mountain. Yeah, it like all of those things, you know, and like the sound of just like some conversations in in your native tongue, and the sound of motorbikes, and it's just it, it all, all ties felt up. so familiar, yeah. you yeah. know. And I just couldn't like it was overwhelming. Well, hopefully next year. After you do the Vietnam thing, and you know, we could touch back, touch bases, and catch up and, and see how everything went. I want to thank you for coming up today. Thank you for having me. I had a good time. This was fun. This it was, was fun. fun. Thanks, Tao. Good banter. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Wynn. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Wynn, Catherine Wynn, 
Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.